I've known Lauren uh, since she was in first grade, second grade. I think that's one of the most rewarding parts about being a part of Kids Works is getting to see the kids grow in their faith. And that girl is on fire for Jesus. Um, and anytime she comes to church, if, if she's here and she's able, she is back in Kids Works serving, um, leading worship for the kids, leading small groups sometimes. And I'll tell you what, kids don't come to play the games that I have in the uh, elementary room. I'm missing pieces. The games maybe be outdated, but they come to see Lauren. They come to see Rob. They come to see all the leaders. Um, and they come excited to tell them about their weeks, to, to, to tell them that they, they scored a basket in the basketball game, to tell them about a birthday party that they went to and there was pizza. Uh, they're excited to come and, and let the leaders know about every part of their life, even if it's something traumatic like their grandfather passing away. But they come seeking the leaders. Um, and I, I think it's important to remember that Lauren she probably doesn't know this, but she's taught me so much that she would never even realize. We go in there, we think we're gonna pour into these kids, but they're pouring so much into us um, and it's unbelievable. And we wanna invite you guys um, to experience that. If, if you're interested in serving in Kids Works or learning more about it, you can text your name to the church number 608-362-7663. And a great time to um, test it out is Easter. Easter, we have no idea what it's going to look like. We have no idea how many kids are going to come, so we need help. Um, so if you're willing to come and help, it's just for an hour, just one weekend, just one service. And if you hate it, you don't ever have to do it again. We've had people do that. They come, they serve on Easter, and they're like, I'm glad I could help, but I don't ever want to do that again. And that's fine. We probably don't want you to do it again if you don't want to be there. Um, but we've also had people come, and they serve on Easter, and they're like, I need this in my life every weekend. So if you're interested, we would love to have you. We need the help. Um, and it's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal for a kid like Lauren as, as she grows. Um, so if you're interested, come seek us out or, or text your name. But I'm, I'm going to start my message off today with a little con confession. I'll let you know about one of my guilty pleasures. I, I hope you don't judge me too harshly. Um, but reality TV, sometimes I can, I can get addicted to reality TV. The, the drama, the chaos that kind of happens in reality TV. And maybe it's scripted, I don't know. But it's like a car crash and you can't look away. There's one show that we watch, and I wish I could blame it on my wife, but, um, and say that she watches it and I just kind of sit back and it's on and blah, 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 blah. But I initiate it usually. But the show we are watching, 90 Day Fiance, um, all right, okay, you're either, you either know, you're laughing at me or, um, but this show is just insane. The things that the people say to one another, the things that they do, the situations that they get into, it's like they crave the conflict. They want the drama. They seek it out. And it kind of blows my mind that I like shows like that. And I find it interesting because in my own life, I want nothing to do with conflict. I want nothing to do with hardship or drama. And I run from it. I try to avoid it. I, I try to be strategic about how I can make sure that it doesn't enter my life. 
Um, I hate that sick feeling that you get in your stomach. Are you with me? The anxious feelings that come when you're in some sort of conflict or some sort of hardship, lying awake at night, staring at the ceiling, being overwhelmed by all these feelings that this hardship has crashed into your life. And usually the first thing we try to do is fix it, right? Try to fix it as quickly as we can so that we don't experience those anxious feelings, so that we don't experience those, those nights of lying awake, staring at the ceiling. But the truth is, conflict's a part of life. It's going to happen. We may not be seeking it out, but it's going to come crashing into our life, whether we like it or not. And I'm not talking about he said, she said stuff. I'm talking about failing relationships, financial struggles, 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 maybe a a family member in the hospital, maybe personally or or someone you love dealing with anxiety or depression. It, It comes into our lives and it drains us emotionally and mentally. And sometimes Even though our first thought is fix it, do whatever we got to do to get it out of our life, sometimes the fix is beyond our own capabilities. We try as hard as we can to fix it, but it's not working. And so eventually that conflict, that hardship just makes itself comfortable in our lives, continuing to drain us, continuing to cause us to be restless, continuing to take our joy, to take our peace. When I first graduated college, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and, and if you were here a month ago when I taught or preached, you know that I wanted to go and teach in Puerto Rico, but that didn't happen. So I decided I was going to become a substitute teacher in Beloit. Um, and I loved it. I did it and I loved it. I did it for about two years and I loved being able to see the different schools. I loved being able to, um, experience the different classrooms and the wide variety of age groups and things like that. But I, I tended to do elementary more, um, probably my, that was probably my, um, my uh, emotional or mental level, I don't know. But I connected with them, but every time I went in, it seemed like there was a, a few kids that would just not smile. They would not laugh at my hilarious jokes. Uh, they wouldn't look, look me in the eye sometimes. And it kind of seemed like there was something going on in their life, some kind of conflict, some kind of hardship that they were bringing into the classroom that was causing them to be this way. So it became my mission. Every classroom that I went into, I would seek those kids out. If it seemed like a kid wouldn't smile, if it seemed like a kid wouldn't laugh, it was my goal to try and make them smile and laugh sometime that day, make them feel comfortable. Um, And so I learned how to do magic. I learned how to take my thumb off. Yeah, 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 pretty impressive. I learned how to put a crane in my ear and pull it out my nose. Um, I learned how to draw all these different things, animals, unicorns, castles, um, anything to, to brighten their day. And nine times out of 10, it worked. Nine times out of 10, they were smiling. They were feeling comfortable by the end of the day, which was great. But as I reflect back on it, it was a temporary fix, right? I actually wasn't really fixing anything in their life. Maybe I was providing them with an escape, helping them run away from whatever they were facing in life outside of that classroom. But the truth was when they left that classroom that day, whatever conflict, whatever hardship they were facing in life, it was waiting for them, waiting to steal their joy, waiting to steal their their peace. 
When we can't fully fix it, we run, right? We, we try to find some form of escape. Try to get as far away as we can, even if it's just for a brief moment of relief. Is there something you've come today running from? Is, is there some form of conflict or hardship you're experiencing today that you've tried to fix repeatedly? And it seems to be beyond your capabilities what do we do when we're, we're in the midst of that conflict? We're right in the middle of that hardship. How do we find joy and how do we find peace? We've been going through the book of Mark the past few weeks. Um, today we're in chapter two. Near the end of chapter two, um, we find Jesus and his disciples and they are, they're walking. And usually at this point in Jesus's ministry, when people saw Jesus in in public, they were following him. They wanted to see what he was going to say. They, they wanted to see what he was going to do. They wanted to be around him. So usually a crowd would kind of form behind him. And within this crowd usually was a few religious leaders. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, they craved conflict. They craved the drama. They would have been perfect on 90 Day Fiance. But they would try to bring that drama. They would try to bring that conflict into Jesus's life. They would try to lay it at his feet and try to trap him in it. And so this particular day where they're all walking, uh, it's the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a day declared to uh, rest in God, to, to be with God, to remember all the things that God has done for us and thank him for it. Um, to be with him in the midst of the craziness that life becomes, right? Well, ancient rabbis back in Jesus's time, they started adding these rules, these traditions, these rituals, all these things that they said you had to do on the Sabbath and all these things that they said you could not do on the Sabbath, a list of do's and don'ts that they've attached to the Sabbath. So as they're walking, Jesus and his disciples, they start to cut through a grain field. And as they're walking through this grain field, the disciples get hungry. There's no McDonald's to stop at. So they start to bend down and pick up pieces of grain and they start to eat it. The Pharisees, they see this and go ballistic. They are furious. They run up to Jesus and they start pointing in his face, bringing that conflict to his feet. Here's what the Bible says. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are they breaking our laws? Have you not read our rituals and traditions that you're supposed to follow? Have you not seen the list of do's and don'ts that we've attached to the Sabbath? The Pharisees believed that the, the disciples had violated four of their traditions, reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. The disciples, what they had actually done was called gleaning, which didn't break any traditions, but still the Pharisees were seeking out this conflict. They were seeking out this hardship. Jesus responds with an example from scripture, basically saying that the Sabbath, it's not about all your, your traditions, saying that human need is always more important than religious rituals. The Pharisees were all about pushing that you had to do this, you had to do that. You had to carry out these rituals. You had to carry out these traditions or there was gonna be a problem. Jesus was saying, it's not about what you can do, but it's about what's already been done for us. 
It's not about your do's. It's not about your don'ts. But it's about helping people. Helping people is always most important. God doesn't want us walking around mindlessly doing these rituals and traditions. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know his heart. He wants us to love him and love others. He wants us to rest in him. But when it comes to conflict, we, it seems like we run more than we rest, right? It, it seems like we spend more time trying to run away from it or escape it rather than simply resting right where we are. What rituals or traditions do we carry with us that we think this is going to be the quick fix? If I just do this, this is going to make everything better. No anxious feelings, no staring at the ceiling at night, no more hardship. Do we have a list of do's and don'ts that we carry with us that maybe make us feel better about running rather than simply resting in Jesus? Eventually, I did become a teacher in Puerto Rico. And uh, the first few years, I was a Bible teacher. Um, part of my responsibilities was to visit kids when they were sick in the hospital. And I would kind of use the same uh, methods that I used as a substitute teacher. I would uh, go in there and I would try to make them laugh and make them forget about the situation that they were in. So I would take a stuffed animal for them. I would take coloring books, activity books. I would take maybe a board game or cards to sit and play with them. Um, now I remember one time a, a little girl had been absent for a few days and I found out she was in the hospital. So I went to visit her and I remember going to the hospital and getting lost. I um, eventually found my way to where she was and the nurse directed me to her room. I'm walking towards the room and it was like sliding glass doors. And on the inside, there was like a curtain, uh, but the doors were open, the curtain were open, a sliver, and I could see right through and I could see the dad sitting in a chair. And so as I approach the room, the dad looks up, he sees me, he gets up and comes out to greet me. Um, he only spoke Spanish and my Spanish was terrible. Um, so we communicate with each other as best we can, lots of smiling and head nodding and things like that. And eventually we walk into the room and I'm hyping myself up. I'm trying to be excited so that this little girl gets excited. As I step into the room and I look to the right and I can still see the image today. I look to the right and I see the little girl in the hospital bed and she is just connected to all this stuff. She's got a ventilator on her face, all these other things. And as I see that, I freeze and I don't know what to do. And my heart just breaks. This is not what I was used to. And so I sit down next to her. I give her the stuffed animal, the activity books that it seems like she wouldn't be able to use. Um, I spend some time with her and there were moments where her eyes were squinting. Maybe she was laughing, but I, I couldn't really tell. And at one point I had my arm around the dad and I was holding her hand as I prayed for them. And at the end, I, I told the dad, whatever you need, I'll be there. Just call me, I'll come sit with her. If you gotta take a break, I'll be here. And then I left, I walked through the hospital out to the parking lot to my car. My car. I got in my car and I lost it. How am I supposed to fix that? How am I supposed to provide some sort of escape to that? There's nothing I can do to help her in that situation. What am I supposed to do with this, God? So after a few moments of 
yelling in my car. I decided I should probably go home and I start to drive away. Um, but I could not get that image of her out of my head. And as I'm driving, I, I begin to drive in silence, but then I decide, okay, I'm gonna listen to some music. Um, and my car had a CD player. Remember CD players? Uh, and I had a CD in the CD player. I didn't really know what it was. Um, I didn't select a song. I just turned it on. And the lyrics that were in the song just started to speak to me. I feel like so many times God has spoken to me through Music, even today with the songs that were selected in worship have just been speaking to me all day. But as the lyrics started to be sung, they just started to connect with me. Here's some of the lyrics that were sung. All our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked the path before us. He is walking with us still, turning tragedy into triumph turning agony to praise. There's blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice. When you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice. In the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. And that word, rejoice, 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 it kept being repeated in the song. And it kept bouncing around my head. And in that moment, I knew I had to rejoice because no matter what, hardship I was facing, even if it seemed like there was no fix I could do, even if it seemed like there was no escape, God was still working. God was still moving, even, even if I couldn't see it. So I needed to re rejoice because he is sovereign and he is in control. And I needed to rejoice because there is no fix like the fix of Jesus. And so in that moment, I knew I had to rest in him and rejoice there was no fix, there was no running, no escaping, only resting in Jesus. Sometimes it's not about what we can do, right? It's not about rituals, it's not about traditions. We can try every ritual, we can try every tradition, and it doesn't work. We can try and run as far away as we can, we can try to escape it, but sometimes what we simply need to do is just stop and rest in Jesus. The next part of Mark is chapter three. And now Jesus and the disciples are making their way to the synagogue. Um, once again, it's the Sabbath. Once again, the Pharisees are looking to trap Jesus and bring conflict to his feet, bring conflict to his life. Uh, they find a man who's maybe begging on the side of the road that leads to the, the synagogue. This man has a, a shriveled hand. And so they, they get the man and they coerce him to come into the synagogue hoping that when Jesus comes into, into the synagogue, they see that he sees the man and maybe he heals them, which is a big no-no on the Sabbath. But the ironic thing is, is this man, he actually wasn't allowed to be in the synagogue uh, because of his medical condition. It, it went against the do's and don'ts of the Pharisees. But still, they, they maybe bribed him and, and told him that they would give him some form of payment if he came in even though he was terrified because he could get in trouble. But there he was, and as Jesus enters, Jesus sees the man, and he sees the Pharisees, and he understands what's gonna happen. So here's what the Bible says next. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained 
silent. You see, part of their traditions on the Sabbath was if you got a cut on your finger, you could stop the bleeding, but you could not put ointment on it. You could stop it from getting worse, but you couldn't put, do anything to it that would make it better. You couldn't do anything to it that would promote healing in the wound. And in his question to the religious leaders, Jesus once again emphasizes that human need is more important than rituals or traditions. He emphasized that there was never a wrong day to do something good. There was never a wrong day to help someone who was in need. And the Bible says at this point, Jesus looks around at them in anger. One of the only times in the Bible, one of the few times uh, that it describes Jesus as being angry. Here's what the Bible says. He was distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus was angry because this was the perfect opportunity for the Pharisees to let go of those rituals, let go of those traditions and accept Jesus. But they refused. They held tightly to their do's and don'ts. And in turn, they decided to reject Jesus. Imagine that room at this point, though, just full of tension. Imagine it's just full to the brim with conflict. Imagine the man kind of dragged into the middle of this drama, dragged into the middle of this conflict. He didn't want to be there. He didn't seek it out. He's probably terrified at this point. I'm sure there was one moment where he looked at the door. Maybe he could make a break for it. He could start running and not look back. But remember, Jesus asked him to stand with him. And so there he was standing in front of everyone next to Jesus. All eyes were probably on this man. And he probably spent most of the time trying to avoid eye contact with people in the room. But there was no avoiding eye contact with Jesus in that moment. And in that moment, Jesus sincerely looks at the man. And in that moment, Jesus asks the man to do something impossible. Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. You can imagine the man at this point, um, imagine if he said, no, 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 I can't do that. How could you ask me to do that? That's impossible. I've been living with this my whole life. I've been running from this my whole life. There's no escape. There is no fix for this. He could have chosen to reject Jesus just like the Pharisees did, but he didn't. And as Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand, that man stretches his hand out towards Jesus and in an instant, his hand is restored. You can imagine at this point, the man, his eyes wide open, staring at his hand. Imagine the the sense of relief that just floods through him. Imagine the joy that springs up inside of him. Imagine the peace that falls upon him. He could have run in the beginning, right? He could have said, I want nothing to do with this drama. I want nothing to do with this conflict. Seeing no fix in sight, but he didn't. He chose to stand with Jesus. He chose to trust Jesus. And in return, he found peace. Uh, Two years ago, when COVID stuff started happening, it was crazy. It was chaos. No one really knew what was going on. At first, everyone was confused. And in the midst of all that, my my dad got sick. Um, And so we're freaking out and trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, after getting through some hoops and 
other obstacles. He, he's able to be in the hospital in Janesville where, where they're able to take care of him and figure out what's going on. Um, and because of the restrictions and guidelines, none of our family members could be with him. We couldn't be by his bedside. We, we couldn't be of any support in person. So me being the control freak that I am, I'm calling the nurses. I'm trying to get updates, trying to relay it to the rest of the family members so that we know what's going on. Eventually we find out it's not COVID, hallelujah, but there's still something severely wrong going on. I remember at one point talking to one of the nurses and she says, do you want to talk to your dad? Like, heck yeah, I do. I haven't talked to him in days. I haven't seen him in days. So she puts him on the phone and the sound of his voice just breaks my heart. Sounding so weak, sounding so sick. You know my dad, you know how happy he is, how loud he is sometimes. Um, and so it was hard for me to hear. So we, we talk for a bit and then towards the end of the conversation, I start to cry. Um, and if you haven't realized this yet, I am a crier. I cry at Dove soap commercials, whatever it is. Uh, my wife makes fun of me for it. Um, but I start to cry, telling them I love them, I miss them. And there he is on the other end of the phone, in the one who's sick, the one who's hurting, saying, hey, everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be all right. And I say, okay, hang up the phone, and I feel useless. I feel desperate. I feel like there's nothing I can do in this situation. I can't even sit by him in the hospital. So dealing with that, later uh, I get a phone call and he's letting me know that he's gonna be transferred to Milwaukee for surgery. It's gonna happen in a few hours and he goes over some of the details and then we hang up and again, I'm just feeling like, man, I wish I could just be with him. Uh, I, I wish I could be of some sort of support. I wish I could do something. And then I get an idea. Either that day or the day before, whenever he found out it wasn't COVID, he posted a picture on Facebook um, kind of letting everyone know that it's not COVID. There's still something going on. Thank you for your prayers. We're still figuring it out. But the picture he posted was the view from his hospital room. So I'm thinking, okay, if I can't be with my dad in that room, I'm gonna be outside the room, waving at him, letting him know we're thinking of him. So I go to my wife and I tell her the idea. She's like, yeah, let's do it. And so we grab my son and we throw together a poster that we'll hold outside the room. And uh, we jump in the car. We start racing towards the hospital in Janesville. Once we get to the parking lot, we're driving around the parking lot with my phone and trying to find, with the picture on it, trying to find that spot that he took a picture of from his room. Eventually we think we find the spot. So we park, we get out. And I call my dad and he's like, hey, there's doctors here. This isn't the best time. I'm like, dad, just look out your window. One of the doctors opens the blinds for him. And as he, as he looks out his window, he sees his grandson. We miss you, Papa. Get well soon. And then we stood there for a while. The next picture you see little David waving at his grandpa. You can kind of see dad in the middle window. Um, we stood there for a bit, waving, blowing kisses. Then we got back in the car and, and we started to drive home. Mission accomplished, right? Then how come I didn't feel any better? 
somber drive home. We get home, I drop my wife and son off and I decide I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna go to the office and get some work done. And I remember uh, going into my office, going to my desk, sitting in my chair, just closing my eyes, feeling so useless, feeling like there was nothing I could do. I opened my eyes, I looked to the left of my desk. On the wall next to my desk, I have a picture that a little girl drew me in Puerto Rico, my first year teaching. I still have it today and I have it right next to my desk. Immediately when I see that picture, I think of Puerto Rico. Immediately when I think of Puerto Rico, I think of that little girl in the hospital. Immediately I think rejoice, 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 rejoice. Jake, what are you doing? Rejoice, God is working. So in that moment, I put my head on my desk and I start to pray. I start to rest in God. And I remember opening my eyes from prayer and picking up my Bible. I remember opening it. The students used to give me their school pictures. And this is the exact picture I found that day. But it, I used to put them in my Bibles to help me remember to pray for them, to to be a bookmark. And as I opened my Bible to that picture and looked at the picture and set the picture aside, I saw a block of text that was highlighted. Who knows when I highlighted it? It may be years ago, but as I glanced at that text that was highlighted, I started to read it and then I read it in full and here's what it said. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and get this part. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. And in that moment, I knew I had to rest in God. In that moment, God was asking me to stretch out my hand to him. I had to lay my doubts at his feet. Stop worrying about how to fix it. Stop worrying about running. Stop worrying about escaping. Lay it all at his feet and just stretch out my hand. Because the truth is conflict and hardship, it's coming. It's inevitable. And it will crash into our lives. If we don't seek it out, we don't look for it, we don't invite it into our lives. It attempts to steal our joy. It attempts to steal our peace. It attempts to, strap, to trap us right where we are. But the fix is not about what we can do. The fix is not about rituals. The fix is not about traditions. The fix is not about a list of do's and don'ts. The fix is not about running. The fix is not about escaping. The fix is about Jesus. We can try every tradition. We can try every ritual. We can run as far away as we can, and it still doesn't matter. We need to stop and be reminded of what has already been done 
forest. So how do we do that though? In the midst of conflict, in the midst of the chaos, and sometimes it's not just one thing, it's multiple things when it's just flying on our face and we don't know what to do. How do we remind ourselves to stop and rest? The first thing we do, and it sounds simple, but simple is the best thing for me. (laughs) So maybe it's good for you. The first thing we do is pray. We stop and we pray, God grants us rest. Prayer is how we build our relationship with God, right? When we pray and spend time with God, it's how we commune with him. And as our relationship strengthens with God, it makes it easier to stop and rest anytime that conflict arises. The next thing, read the Bible. When we stop and read his word, God will grant us joy. Everything God wants us to know is in the Bible, especially his promises. And when we read the Bible and we're reminded of his promises, we're also reminded by the the fact that he does not break his promises and he will not fail us. And in the midst of that, we can have joy in any hardship because we know that he will not fail. The last thing is the cherry on top though. When we stop and we stand with Jesus, God grants us peace. When we surrender our hearts to Jesus, it changes everything. Jesus is the game changer. Because of Jesus, we start to see life differently. Because of Jesus, we start to see priorities that we have differently. Because of Jesus, we start to see conflict differently. Because of Jesus, we start to respond to conflict differently. Because of our growing relationship with Jesus, in the midst of the darkest days that we have, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the hardship, we can start to see light breaking through the darkness because of Jesus, even when we face the drama, when we face the conflict, we can still have peace. Even if the conflict we are facing doesn't get resolved the way that we hope it does, we can still have peace. Even if that conflict brings some of the hardest situations that we've faced in life, we can still have peace. Our peace does not come from the way things are going in life, right? Our peace does not come from rituals or traditions. Our peace does not come from a list of do's or don'ts. Our peace comes from Jesus and he will stand right next to us. He will not abandon us. He will not fail us. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Prince of Peace. And catch this part before they kick me off stage. (laughs) When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, you remember the scripture we read earlier, the God of peace. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we face that conflict, whatever the hardship is, There's no fixing, there's no running, we rest in him. We stand right next to Jesus, our minds are overwhelmed, our hearts are tired, our bodies are weary. We stand next to him, he's waiting to give us rest. He's waiting to renew our joy. He's waiting to give us peace. And all he asks of us is to stretch our hands out to him. And in this moment, I... 
whether you're online and you're sitting at your computer or on your phone and you just have some form of conflict or hardship in your life, or whether you're in the room today and you've brought some conflict or hardship here, I want to pray for you right now quickly. And just pray that the peace of God that transcends all understanding would fall upon us here in this room and wherever you are watching today. So if you would, bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh my gosh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we can gather here in your name, that we can proclaim the name of your son, Jesus. And no matter what hardship we face, no matter what conflict we face, that we can still have peace because you are good and you are working. Even if we don't deserve it, you still grant it to us, God. And so in these moments, I pray that we would rest in you that we would find our joy in you, that we would find our peace in you. And anytime we need you, we would stretch out our hands to you. Thank you for all that you do, Lord. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.